2: Yes, they are. Doug and Jeff seconds away. 10th caller to begin the radio show today gets a wonderful gift certificate from Sorgles at 412-922-1020. And Doug and Jeff would love to hear from you. We've got that number to dial in to get all of your questions answered at 866- Three nine one ten twenty. Here they are: Doug Oster,
0: EverybodyGardens.com,
2: and Jessica Walliser.
1: Good morning. I am Doug Oster from Everybody Gardens and the Tribune Review,
0: and I'm horticulturist Jessica Walliser.
1: More bulb planting for me yesterday, Jess. That's what I did. I got about 150 left, and I'll be done until the nurseries start giving their stuff away. So
0: your video was pretty darn funny. <laughs> Thank you. Your black. If you, if you, if listeners, if you have not gone to Everybody Gardens and seen this black and white silent movie that Doug made it's only what two minutes long one minute one long. minute long
1: had to get short enough to get on Instagram come on Jeff.
0: it is uh it's very clever and very funny we shared it on the Savvy Gardening page and got lots of great shares and comments on it everybody was like this is so much fun
1: it was pretty fun. great that was when I had 600 to plant
0: remember to hydrate <laughs>
1: What else is going on in your garden?
0: I've got bulbs to plant too. Uh, somebody sent me some muscari, some really cool different varieties of grape hyacinths, and uh, I still have not gotten those in the ground. So you have
1: time. You have it is. Time. It's going to
0: be nice today. I think you know it's not. It's going to be cold, but the temperature is going to. Oh, be I good.
1: planted something new. That's old. I don't know if you know it. I don't know the plant. It's called. They're called silver bells. Hmm. I don't know. They came from old house gardens, okay. and I just saw them in you know when the discount rack at the end of the season here and. I said, "Oh, that sounds kind of interesting. Little white flowers. So I, I should have uh, looked them up and and ran it by you. You'll, you'll know the plant when you get the official name."
0: Interesting, silver
1: Silverbells. Silver hmm. bells. We'll look it up in the break.
0: All right, there you go. There you go.
1: Where are you going to put your muscari?
0: So, I think I'm going to do them so we can see them out the back door, um, probably along the top edge of my retaining wall. Will deer eat them? Probably. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I I think I can hide them in there. Well, you know, famous last words with the deer, but I'm pretty sure I'll be able to hide them in there.
1: Yeah, I did one of those 50 deer-resistant plants, blah, 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 you know, but I put the caveat always in there, like, uh, they'll eat anything. Yeah. in my mother's garden, they they would eat the for 50 to the ground, and in mine, they don't touch it. So 50 deer-resistant plants in my garden.
0: Yeah, <laughs> because you never know. I mean, right that mean, each, each herd feeds differently. And my thing is, if you ever question whether or not they're going to eat a plant, keep netting over it. You know, I have lots of individual plants that are netted in my garden, and I redo the netting every spring. Mm-hmm. You know, I love, we talk about hinoki cypress. It's one of my favorite evergreen plants. They love it just as much as I do. And oh, that I was just,
1: one of the ones on my list.
0: <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. no, they love mine. So I have mine. At, my hinoki cypress is perpetually covered with a little piece of bird netting. Nobody even knows that it's there because it's sort of, you know, you have to walk right up to the plant to be able to see it, that it's there. And we have a juniper on the side of the house. Uh, I think it's called Hetzel's also Juniper. On
1: the, also on the list.
0: <laughs> well, a lot of junipers are deer-resistant, but this Hetzel one is a softer juniper. The needles are are not quite as pinchy <laughs> as some of the other types of juniper, and this one in particular, they really seem to like. Plus, it's on the corner of the house right by the – they walk by this spot every day. So old, I have that netting around. Old
1: dried leaves was on the list. Is that one? Resistant? You know,
0: it's funny. Old dried leaves. You laugh, we laugh at that, but we ha- used to have that maple in the front yard. And I have a video of a doe eating the fallen maple leaves from beneath the maple tree. She was sitting there and grazing on the maple leaves. Now the so, bucks are
1: all over my – property and they're just focused on one thing. Mm-hmm.
0: They're just
1: running around and being crazy and eating and yeah. You know, didn't get my hydrangeas covered like I should have. Oh. Cuz they came in and they, they nibbled the, fo- the the foliage. I'm like, "Oh, I I got to get those surrounded before they get to the oh.
0: <laughs> they got the buds <laughs> yeah. and that was that." Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's not much you can do.
1: I I keep moving my hydrangeas into the vegetable garden that has that's fenced in just because I don't, you know, I should have put fencing around those. I have fencing around other plants, and I know I should have done it, and I didn't do it, and now I have to wait another year.
0: Well, you know, there's a lot of gardeners out there that now they're listening, and they're like, ooh, yeah, I guess I should have done that too. And it's just one of those things that time slips away from At me, least so. I
1: protected the new young trees from the rubbing.
0: Yeah, that's good, because that will kill the tree. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you, they, the deer come along, and they nibble the you know, tips off or whatever. A lot of times the plant will survive, especially if you protect it. Um, it's really when it's repeated years of defoliation like that that it can actually kill the plant. But if it's just once, you can protect it. It's okay. But, man, with something like that, that's it.
1: Another plant that's on the list is mountain laurel. And I have a mountain laurel that has the fencing around it in my garden. So
0: Yeah, and that's toxic. I mean, that's poisonous yeah, to them. It's, so. young,
1: it's young deer mm-hmm. nibbling on the buds. They don't know any better. They're, they don't have anyone to show them what to eat. So they're like, oh, look at this.
0: Yeah. Oh, these
1: buds. <laughs> these are really soft. Oh, I don't feel so good. Right.
0: There you go. Hey, uh, have you started on your leaf cleanup yet?
1: I was working on that yesterday. All right. M- much less leaf cleanup now after you told me I don't have to take it off yeah. the beds or anything. Yep.
0: Well, that's the thing about the this, you know, leave the leaves movement. I mean, it's a very good thing for all of the insects and everything, and you can leave them in your beds. You know, there's even talk now about, People are saying, you know, leave them on your lawns. What's um, the advantage
1: of leaving them on your driveway, though? That's what I want to Well, have. that
0: gets slippery, and that's you know that's the you problem. They can get quite slippery when you have them piled uh, on I, your driveway.
1: I got the driveway got the driveway clean, uh, and I got a path on the patio to get to the garden. There you go. <laughs> just clear
0: the path. Yeah. Well, and you'll eventually have to clean them off the patio because they'll,
1: yeah, you know, know, before the spring. Yeah, but Yeah. yeah. Before but, it gets wet. I, if I could just get to it before it rains the next time. We'll see. Because
0: then they're super heavy if they wait till they're wet. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right. So what are you guys going to talk about? We've got about a minute before the break. What's the driving theme behind today's show?
1: Well, I'll just kind of hang here and just talk to each other, see how you're doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. We want to talk about composting today if we have time. Um, and certainly we'll take callers' questions as well. But it's a great time of year to start a compost pile, and, and we talk about that. And
1: leaves. What to do with all those leaves? Leave them go. <laughs> you know? No, but, I mean, if you do blow them, if you do have to get them off something – they shouldn't go to the landfill. We'll talk about that.
2: All right, 866-391-1020, 866-391-1020. And the winner is Barbara from Pittsburgh of that $25 gift certificate from Surgles. All right, here's Doug in Greensburg for Doug and Jess, the Organic Artists. We'd love to hear from you. Lines are open. You can get through if you dial now, 866-391-1020. Hey, Doug.
3: Hey, good morning. How are you folks today? Good. Hey, I'm good. Good. Okay. It was kind of a three-part question concerning a new lawn. Um, I put a lawn a week
1: ago today, and it's in a very flat area with relatively poor drainage. Um, I have four good inches of a good topsoil on it. And I want to know,
3: number one, I put a real
1: heavy bed of straw on. or you a know, heavy top dressing of straw after I planted it. Should I leave that on all winter if the lawn doesn't come through?
0: My guess is at this time, you know, and I've done this before when I worked for a landscaping company. We, we sowed grass seed really late in the season, and it would just sit there in the winter, and then you actually have it germinate first thing in the spring, and it does beautifully. It could also, if the temperatures warm up again, you could actually have germination occur this fall. The soil is still warm, so it wouldn't be a bad thing if that happens. Um, the the straw, when you say a real thick layer, how thick do you like? How thick is it?
1: I would say it's a good two inches thick.
0: Okay. So usually when we use top dressing over grass seed like that, we're talking just a really thin layer, just enough to hold the seed in place and keep erosion from happening. Like two inches is pretty thick on top of grass you seed. You kind of
1: try and keep the seed wet. That's part of its, you know. Yep, yeah. Yeah. Plus, I would think it would have insulated it for the
3: winter or kept the ground a little warmer. Maybe it would get some quicker germination. That was my thought process. Yeah,
0: two inches Hmm. is pretty thick, though. So it will be interesting to see how it does. I I wouldn't do anything to it at this point. I would just let it go. um, And you might see some spotty germination this fall. You might, you know, might wait till the spring. But leave that straw in place. I wouldn't bother removing it at this point. If you get no germination by the time we have maybe a week or two of warmer temperatures next spring, then I would go ahead and overseed. Uh, And you wouldn't have to remove the straw if you don't want to. You could just broadcast the seed Because by that point, it's going to really be matted down and sort of partially decomposed. So I wouldn't worry about it too much if you don't have, you know, if you need to overseed it in the spring. Okay.
1: And what about watering now? Should I bother? Because I I looked at the soil yesterday. I poked it a few places and it's still relatively damp
3: from the snow melt
0: yeah and i think you're fine at this point um the only thing i would say is if it if it germinates this fall then yes you will have to water it if we get warm or dry period of time uh if it doesn't germinate this fall and you have no signs of germination just leave it go don't water it and then it will germinate in the spring okay good okay good luck and you know what's interesting is i've actually had some beautiful lawns that when when i worked for the landscaper that we put in that seeding we put in, like this in time fo- of the year. yep seeding this time of year and it was it's it's what hard what did they put
1: over the, what did they put over the seed uh,
0: we would do compost we yeah. would do compost or like a little thin layer of mushroom soil over the top of it instead of straw cuz it's a little easier for the grass seed to come up through that the problem with doing that though is the ground is bare all you know through the winter and so you can get a if you have a sloped area there can be a yeah. lot of erosion There can be, um, you know, it just, you get a lot of soil washing away, so there's definitely downsides of it, but if you have a relatively flat area and you want to sow the seed now, it's okay to go ahead and do that. So let's
1: talk a little bit about leaves. We want to leave them on the bed, leave them in the garden, but if we are removing them from certain areas, what should we be doing with them?
0: So if you're taking the leaves off of your lawn, uh, and, you know, one of the easiest things to do is just use a mulching mower, right, to to mow over them and chop them into little tiny bits and redistribute it on the lawn. Well, and actually, that, you said, great.
1: is that what you meant by people were saying leave the leaves on the lawn? No,
0: some people are even saying now that just leave the leaves on the lawn altogether. But I think they're thinking of, like, you know, a big lawn with one tree in the middle of it. Like, in your case, you're surrounded by trees. If you all leave, trees,
1: which is even worse.
0: If you leave all of those leaves on your grass, it's definitely it. going to kill your grass. And we have places in our at our place that are the same way, where the leaves kind of blow and they collect along the fence, and it will kill the grass. So you can use a mulching mower. If you do want to rake it, rake it up. Don't send those leaves to the landfill. You can use them to start a new compost pile. One of the things I love to do with them is I build a cylinder of four foot tall wire, like chicken wire or box wire. Four-foot-tall, cylinder, probably about three, four feet wide, and you pile the leaves in that, and that's actually a great place to grow your potatoes the following year. You can fill up, you know, put some compost in there. If you've got a neighbor with, you know, horse or cow manure or a source for that, pile up those leaves. You could even put some untreated grass clippings in there. So it sort of makes like a temporary compost pile that then you can grow potatoes in the next year. I've you, even done pumpkins that way.
1: Could you just do it with shredded leaves, or would you have to have something else? Would you, you, could, you have, to have-
0: I would say if, if it was shredded leaves and it was a couple of years' worth that mm-hmm. it was really broken down, uh, but I like to mix it with other things if I'm going to grow potatoes in it. Uh, if you're going to do pumpkins, you really want to wait till it sort of rots down till next spring and then sow some pumpkin seeds in it. You can have pumpkins that way as well or winter squash. Sort of a cool way to reuse those leaves to make organic matter to feed your plants. And
1: I just have shredded leaves, since I have so many leaves, next to the compost whenever I throw in my – Stuff from the kitchen, I throw in some shredded, you know.
0: Leaves on top. Brown leaves. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it is a great time of year to begin a compost pile, primarily because we have all of this, you know, we have the yard trimmings, you have the leaves, you have the spent plants. If you've pulled your spent plants out, if you cut things down. I don't cut things down till spring anymore, but, you know, it, all of that plant but debris. But stuff out of the
1: vegetable garden.
0: Oh, yeah, stuff out of the vegetable garden, yep, yep. And
1: annuals and.
0: Yep.
1: All that sort of thing.
0: It's a great time of year to get started with it. Now, did you turn your compost all winter? You don't turn it at all, never, ever. Okay. Never touch it. All right.
1: It's it's too hard to get to, and it's it's uh, it's just almost impossible. I just have to let it rot down.
0: Yeah. The slow slow. Yeah, cold I've got some rotating
1: bins in there. I'm just not using them right now. Yeah. I've got those in the vegetable garden.
0: It's funny because no matter how many compost bins you have. It seems like you never have enough, but then when it's all rotted down and you go <laughs> you to get rid of it, there's like don't have enough. <laughs> no, yeah, there's like nothing there. It's it's amazing how much it really breaks down and and the great humic uh, properties that it can add to your soil. And I need to really redo helping. mine just
1: to make it more to make it easier to get in there because if I when I do get in there, it's just a it's just a hassle. You got to pull screws out and the whole bit. But, oh you know, yeah, wow, yeah, so yeah, it's just you know. And so that's why when I get in there, I get as much as I can out. But if I was in there all the time, I probably would be, well, I got some out, you know, kind of mixing it up and stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. The three-bin ones, uh, I used to have made of pallets that were sort of zip-tied together. We had a three-bin system, and they were open-sided. So, uh, And what we did was we put all the materials into the first bin, and by the end of the season – that we had just collected through the whole season everything and then we would turn what was in that first bin over into the second bin and then start adding to the first one again the next year and by the time it flipped down into the third bin it was pretty well done and then we were able to to harvest and compost and that was a good way to keep track of what is more finished and what is brand new materials going into the bin and that it makes the harvesting a lot easier. If you're always putting new on top of the pile, you really have to kind of fish out all the good stuff from underneath where this way kept it separate. It's just
1: amazing, you know, how long have you been doing it?
0: Composting? Mm-hmm. Oh, forever.
1: Same here. Yeah. And the amount that you don't take out to the landfill, that you don't take out to the curb is just astounding. At least half of mm-hmm. what I used to is goes right to the compost pile. I did get a question the other day from my wife, like, why don't you take the compost out there when you're going to the garden? Is that a question?
0: That is a good <laughs> question. There was a question a, mark at the end of there, I think. Order. that was Well, you should. That's also, I agree with Cindy on that one, you know. You're, gonna, you're on your way <laughs> out there. Did. You might as well pick up the compost bucket and take it out.
2: Those are two women that care a lot that's about That's like
0: you. when you put the toothpaste on the steps. That means if it's sitting there, the next <laughs> time you go up the stairs, pick up the toothpaste and take it upstairs. <laughs> is but that you, why
1: it's
2: there?
0: Yes, that's why it's there.
2: Well, my toothpaste is not where I left it. That means somebody's in my house. So, <laughs> we'll take a break. Stay with us. All right, tenth caller right now, four one two-nine two two ten twenty. Wins a twenty five dollar gift certificate from Janoski's in Clinton. Let's say hi to Lynn. She's been waiting patiently. How are you, Lynn? Welcome to KDK Radio, Doug and Jess. Good morning. Oh, uh, good morning.
3: I'm doing fine. Um, you know, I have been wanting to use leaves for compost uh, in my backyard. Uh, here's the problem. I've got a couple trees in my backyard. Uh, one of them is a crab apple, and it's been dropping leaves throughout the summer, and I'm raking throughout the summer for uh, the past few seasons. I got the tree treated um, a couple times, but then I gave up on that because it it could get pretty expensive to con- continue getting the tree treated. And I'm wondering if, you know, eventually I'm just going to have it cut down. But my concern is um, about the leaves. Um, are the leaves themselves diseased, and should I be using them for compost
0: That is a really that That's crab a, apples? Yeah, that's, that's an a good excellent, question. excellent question, Lynn, excellent question. And what likely is happening on your uh, crab apple, it's a very common pathogen. It's apple scab. Um, and it causes the blemishes on the leaves, early leaf drops. Sometimes they turn sort of like a yellowy-orange before they fall off. Very, very common on um, older varieties of crab apples. Some of the newer ones are resistant to apple scab, but some of the old school ones definitely get it. Um, When you're using diseased leaves like that in a compost pile, um, there is a risk of transmission. However, if you mix it with other ingredients and you turn your pile regularly, it typically gets to a high enough temperature that will kill the disease spores uh, for something like apple scab. But if you just leave them lay on the ground under the tree, that's where they easily overwinter and then reinfect the tree next year. But the, like apples are so – apple uh, crab apples, old crab apples are so prone to this pathogen that Mine you can gets do – Mine
1: gets it every year. Yeah,
0: you can do everything right, and the tree is still going to end up with apple scab.
1: But I still enjoy the blooms, and the tree does okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, well, one question. um What
3: other ingredients could I mix in with the leaves?
0: So you want to do basically a mixture of brown ingredients, which are carbon-rich ingredients. That would be things like straw, shredded-up newspaper, your fall leaves, um, if you use unbleached paper towels or coffee filters, that's all sort of your brown carbon-rich ingredients. And you want to have twice as many of those by volume as you have of green ingredients, which are your nitrogen-rich ingredients. That's things like trimmings from the garden, um, grass clippings, untreated grass clippings, if you have them, kitchen scraps,
1: manures. The only kitchen scraps that they say not to put in there are like oils and uh, meats, that sort of thing, because it can attract rodents. I have friends that out in the country, they just put everything in because it all composts. But, you know, you don't want possums and raccoons digging in your compost.
0: So well, thanks yep. for the advice. I'll try that. Okay, you're welcome. So, I mean, starting a new compost pile is not a hard thing to do. Um, it is. A, it's a good question though that she brought brings up in general about diseased plant foliage. So, you know, how about if you have blight on your peonies or you have uh, early you know
1: on your tomatoes,
0: early blight or powdery mildew on your squash plants? You know, can all of that go on the compost pile? And you know, the short answer is. Yeah, it can, but you do want to make sure that at some point that you're turning your compost regularly because that that is a hot method of composting, and that introduces oxygen to the microbes in the center of the pile, and they're the ones that are going to process out those diseases. And it, it I believe that the temperature is 165 degrees, and you want it for about 14 days at the center of the pile, and that's what you need in order to kill those types of pathogens. If you're doing the just pile the stuff up in the corner of the garden and letting it basically hold compost on its own, the pile probably doesn't get hot enough to kill those pathogens. So it depends on how you compost, how you're going to use that compost.
1: And then something well. like tomatoes, those vines, are. it's going to take longer for those to break down than you know just some leaves off a mm-hmm. squash plant.
0: Yeah, so if you can shred this stuff first, if you have, like, a, a leaf shredder or a compost shredder, or even some people will put the materials in a old trash can, like a Rubbermaid trash can, and then use, like, a string trimmer in there to chop the stuff up into smaller pieces. If you do that, it's going to break down faster.
1: When I harvest mine, a lot of times I find forks in there.
0: <laughs> like, metal <packs? laughs> like metal forks?
1: Like metal forks.
0: They just went in with the kitchen scraps. Yep. <laughs> or are you eating in the garden and just tossing them over your shoulder? <laughs> going.
1: More so when I had kids living at home. Yeah, yeah. It just end up in the compost. That's and really like two years later. I'd be like, oh, a fork.
0: That's funny. My friend was telling me the other day she's got three teenage kids and she was talking to them. Uh, she had to, was talking at dinner about how she doesn't know what happened to all their spoons. She's like, my spoons are gone. There's like, there's no little spoons. And the and the older brother looks at the younger brother and he says, I'll be right back. And he goes out into the garage, and he comes back with, like, a dozen spoons <laughs> in his hand. She's like, where did all these spoons come from? He's like, well, I eat yogurt on the way to school every morning, <laughs> and I just throw the spoon in the back of the car. <laughs> so, had all the... so yours are in the compost pile. When you are a teenager, they're in the back of the car or in their bedroom somewhere, probably. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> so uh,
1: in the bulbs that I've been planting, I've, I've been planting all sorts of little ones. Because they're so much easier to plant. That's I, I, true. I, that's why the the ones left 150 daffodils are left. You know, because I got all the little ones planted yesterday. The glorious snow and the silver bells and the pushkinia and crocuses. Uh, I'm still using that trick. It's work. It works for that first year of soaking my crocus bulbs in Bobex or some kind of repellent. And yes, it's your fingers smell awful after you're done planting, but at least it keeps the critters off them. Until they bloom, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I wonder if you could save a little time. Can't you plant dig your daffodil holes, right, with your auger, put the daffodil in the bottom, put a little bit of the soil back in the hole, and then put a small bob on top? Probably,
1: you know, I'm not that smart. I I actually planted a bunch of small ones right on top of where I knew I just planted daffodils. Yeah. But I didn't have... Oh, your the,
0: soil's nice and loose then, too, right? I didn't
1: have the small ones at the time. So if I would have uh, planned it out and thought about it, but it was all done in a uh, manic, <laughs> like, okay, I got three hours, I got 600 bulbs, let's get to work.
0: And I know that you usually, with your you know, bulb planting, you wait till the last minute because that's when things go on sale. Exactly. So you're like, okay, ooh, they have this on Even, sale, I'm going to buy it, plant it, and then go back for, see what else is on
1: Well, sale. this was online, actually. I'm oh, still okay. waiting for the nurseries to really... I've. I've made my rounds and said, hey, when when it's all over,
0: Let me know what you keep me in
1: mind because <laughs> if you don't, you know, whatever you don't want to pot up for like Easter flowers, like crocuses don't work too well for them yeah. for that. So right. I might be able to get some crocuses. We'll see. But, you know, at the end of the season, I was getting emails from a couple different sources. Old House Gardens was one of them. They have that, you know, that Dutch auction every day. They, they, and it's it's over mm-hmm. every day. They They discount and. Until till they're gone, till the, out of the warehouse. So I, I, you know, I had three orders with them, and uh, then the the bigger ones, Van Engelen. You know, they do fifties and hundreds, and it's inexpensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they put everything else on sale. Where I got a hundred really beautiful, whether it was daffodils or tulips, whatever it is, for about twenty bucks. So you know, that's
0: a good deal. Yeah,
1: and the and the quality of the bulbs of both those companies. You know, I've planted uh, 100 Tahiti daffodils, and probably 25% of them had three noses.
0: Oh, wow. Not just two,
1: but three. And so it was just a shoot. I'm like, man, the quality of these bulbs. I would have accepted just everyone to have one nose. Right. But, you know, have that many with three and and then a bunch with two. So every, every nose means a flower, well, hopefully a flower, but uh, so... I get a lot of excitement out of planting bulbs. I really do. I, I don't think it's a lot of work. I, I love doing it. Uh, and I just think about the spring, man, <laughs> you know, what the spring is going to hold for us.
2: 866-391-1020 is the number to dial. Congratulations to Sandy, a winner of that gift certificate from Janowski. She's from West Mifflin. Stuffing recipes coming up next hour with Joan Frank Dentisi on the Coons Cooking Hour. KDK Radio. All right, we've got our lines available if you want to talk to Doug and Jess about anything on your mind in the way of gardening. We would love to hear from you at 866-391-1020.
1: So we talked about the kind of bulbs that we're planting outdoors right now, but there's another bulb we need to talk about that grows indoors.
0: Yes, if you have an amaryllis bulb that you have kept alive from last year, perhaps it bloomed around Christmas time of last year, and uh, when you brought it inside, you should have put it in the garage, stopped watering it, let the leaves die back. If you have one of those bulbs right now in the next few weeks is the time to pot it up. Bring it, you know, out of that old potting soil, pick a slightly larger container, only by an inch or so in diameter, uh, and pot that bulb up so the top third of the bulb is up above the soil surface. The bottom two-thirds of the bulb is down below the soil surface, and uh, bring it up. Water it into some light and keep your fingers crossed.
1: You know, I still have a poinsettia.
0: Do you really?
1: That from the Prinsettia series. Okay. You know those Prinsettia uh-huh, ones? Uh-huh. Are, they're some kind of cross or something, and uh, they have pure white, and they have some, some pink ones too, but it's the only pure white. And for some reason, that one, for me, does so much better indoors than than a conventional poinsettia. That's why I'm always buying that Prinsettia series. I just... I should have taken it outside, you know. So it's been
0: it... inside all summer. Yeah, it's
1: been on the windowsill okay. the whole summer. Okay. You know, barely getting any attention. You know, just watering once a month, maybe, probably. You know, like every time I look over, I'll be like, "Uh oh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: better get some water on that plant." No, but are
0: you gonna do the whole, you know, uh, minding the the day length and everything to get it to bloom? Never
1: kind of never lost its color really. Oh, it, it has, still has yeah, the has colored like blacks on a, it. Yeah, it has like a white.
0: Wow. Like if I
1: were really taking care of it, it would be filled with white bracts, but you know, it just says one white bract and, you know, barely hanging on. Yeah. I'll probably dump it when I get a new...
0: When you get a new <laughs> a point a set. New, oh, yeah. but it made it this far, right? That's the That's thing. It made it this far. You wanted to you wanted to keep it going. All
1: right, right Brennanette, up next for Doug and
2: Jess on the Organic Gardeners. Good morning.
3: Good morning. I have a bleeding heart still in the pot. Can I plant it or is it too late?
1: Oh boy!
0: What's the option though, right? If you don't plant it, it's not going to make it. It'll die, right? I'm not
3: going to take right. Care of it. So I
0: mean, if you don't have a, if you don't have a place where you want it to be forever and ever, I would sink the whole pot into the ground, maybe in the compost pile or the vegetable garden or tucked behind the house somewhere. Just like at least get the roots insulated by sinking the pot okay. down in the ground. Um, okay. But if you if you have access to the spot where it's eventually going to go, I would go ahead and plant it there, and then maybe take a if you can have a couple of evergreen boughs uh, and sort mm-hmm. of lay it over the the root zone of the plant to make sure that it's a little added extra insulation there. And evergreen boughs are good for that because they allow you know water to pass through, and then they allow air to you know get down to the soil. Uh, And that would be a little bit of extra insulation through the winter.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. And I I also have a uh, poppy. I I got a very, very tiny plant uh, at early summer, and I grew it in a pot. And um, I think last week you said, uh, you know, you could – put these things, keep them in the pot. Now, it's a pottery pot. The mm-hmm. bleeding heart is in a plastic pot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um,
0: is, it it a, is, is it an oriental poppy, or do you know what type of poppy it is?
3: No, I don't. Okay. okay.
0: So I would plant that as well. I would treat them both the same. I would assume that that's a perennial oriental poppy. Um, It could, it could be a California poppy. It could be an annual poppy. I don't know, but... Uh, I would plant them both, either by sinking the pot temporarily for the winter or by actually putting the plant out in the garden. Oh, okay. And I would do that soon because it's been awfully cold temperatures. Right. Today would be a good good day. day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, great. Good luck. Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: Uh, From the Doug Oster text line, my friend Fred actually sent me a picture of his uh, amaryllis all getting potted up and Finger- go Fred! Fingers crossed.
0: Go Fred! <laughs> it looks, yeah.
1: Looks pretty. They look pretty good. Looks like they're going to do that thing.
0: It's like what fifty percent of the yeah, time yeah. that you can get it it's to bloom gonna again. Be,
1: uh, it's either going to be nice, big, strapping leaves, or beautiful buds. Blooms,
0: right. they,
1: those look pretty good, though. I think those are going to those are going to bloom. We'll our see. Fingers he'll are, he'll our have fingers have to are it.
0: crossed for Fred too. Right. <laughs> All right. Actually, well, yours aren't. But well, they are now. There okay, you go. There you go. Okay.
2: One minute and counting in the broadcast. Here's Tina in Dayton, Ohio, for Doug and Jess. Hey, Tina. You got about a minute. Good morning.
3: Good morning. I'm actually in bait PA, but um, I planted garlic bulbs because I'm using a walker now, so I can't plant them in the ground. So I planted them in window boxes on my back patio, and I covered them with straw and everything like I always do. How often should I water them, and how much should I water them?
1: Uh, Maybe just once a month. You want to definitely keep them on the dry side. The worst thing that could happen is that they can rot, and that's what we're most concerned with. So keep them on the dry side. Just stick your finger in there and see where you're at. You just want it to be a little bit moist, but not soaking wet.
2: That's a new suburb of Baden, Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, thought would want to know that. Yeah. Funny, that. <laughs> quite a drive in Ooh, yeah. Baden, <laughs> I mean, how do you get Dayton, Ohio on the screen you're oh, from quite Baden? Quite a commute. Yes, it quite is. Quite a commute, boy. <laughs> Frequent flyer miles. <laughs> Only on the Rob Pratt Show. Take us home.
1: Remember, the organic gardeners always (laughs) aim to create a better place to garden.
0: And a safer place to live.
2: (laughs) And uh, from Consumi, Florida, Joe and Frank just showed up. (laughs) So, I'll tell you, they're coming from all over the country. I drive, too. I know. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a break, and we're going to get ready to do it again next hour. Stuffing recipes. That's your favorite thing, too, isn't it? You're right. Uh, Is it garlic stuffing? Uh, There's
1: definitely garlic in it.
2: All right. Stay tuned, folks. Coming up to Cooking Hour with Joe and Frank.